please turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading together verses 19 through 22. Now, this passage comes in the context in which, in which Paul is explaining how the Gentiles, who were at one point strangers to the covenants of promise, have now been grafted into God's covenant and church. And here, Paul instructs us on a very important point on how the church relates to the word of God. So Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in, in verse 19. Please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy inspired word given to us this morning. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please uh, turn actually in the back of your Psalter hymnal. I did not have the space to put our confessional reading in our order of worship this morning. So turn in the back of your Psalter hymnal to page 855. This morning we are going to be reading together articles 4 through 6. Articles 4 through 6, not, not articles 7. Uh, articles 4 through 6. These articles are all about God's authoritative word. So articles 4 through 6. As always, um, we will read these, uh, conf uh, this confessional reading together as we do, um, as we do every week. <clears throat> well, congregation of Christ, what do you believe about the canon of Scripture? We include in the Holy Scripture the two volumes of the Old and New Testaments. They are canonical books with which there can be no quarrel at all. In the church of God, the list is as follows. In the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the two books of Samuel, the two books of Kings, the two books of Chronicles, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, the book of Job, the Psalms, the three books of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs, the five books of the four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the books of the twelve minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. In the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts of the Apostles, the 13 letters of Paul to the Romans, 
the two letters to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the two letters to the Thessalonians, the two letters to Timothy, to Titus, and Philemon, the letter to the Hebrews, the seven letters of the other apostles, one of James, two of Peter, three of John, one of Jude, and the revelation of the apostle John. Well, Christian, what do you believe about the authority of Scripture? Receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical for the regulating, founding, and establishing of our faith. And we believe without a doubt all things contained in them, not so much because the church receives and approves them as such, but above all because the Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that they are from God, and also because they prove themselves to be from God. For even the blind themselves are able to see that the things predicted in them do happen. Well, Christian, what do you believe about the apocryphal books? We distinguish between these holy books and the apocryphal ones, which are the third and fourth books of Ezra's, the books of Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Jesus, Syriac, Baruch, what was added to the story of Esther, the song of the three children in the furnace, the story of Susanna, the story of Bel and the dragon, the prayer of Manasseh, and the two books of Maccabees. The church may certainly read these books and learn from them as far as they agree with the canonical books, but they do not have such power and virtue that one could confirm their testimony of any point of faith or of the Christian religion, much less can they detract from the authority of the other holy books. Well, let us pray and ask that the Lord would bless our consideration of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in creation, your most elegant book in which all creatures serve as, as characters, as words that point us to your uh, divinity and power and glory. But we thank you most of all that you have revealed yourself to us in your written and inspired word. And we pray that as we consider your written and inspired word this morning, that you would make us wise unto salvation and that you would train us, train us that we may be man and woman of righteousness, equipped for every good work. Uh, we ask all these things in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, boys and girls, according to Article 1 of the Confession, what are we called to do with our hearts and with our mouths? What are we called? Marcus? Very good. We are to believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths. And the, the confession gets this language from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 10. We are called to believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouths that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. Well, boys and girls, according to that same article, what is God? What are those three S words? What is God? Uh, Lillian? Single, simple, and spiritual, yes. Very good. And how do we know God? What are the two means by which we know God? The two books. Annabelle? 
yet creation in his word. And now, from Articles 3 through 7, the confession is focusing on the character of that second form of revelation, the word of God. And so, what is the Bible? According to what we thought about last week, what is the Bible? It starts with an I. What is the Bible? Yes, Lily. Inspired. It's the inspired word of God. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, Paul says that the Bible is breathed out by God. First uh, Peter 3, Peter says that no prophecy comes from any, any single person's interpretation. But holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote uh, Holy Scripture. Well, today we are continuing to reflect upon this question, what is the Bible? And today, Articles 4 through 6 remind us that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. The Bible is the authoritative Word of God. Now, the authority of God's Word rests upon what we thought about in Article 3, the inspiration of God. So you might ask, well, why, why does the Bible possess authority? Well, it possesses, possesses authority because it's the inspired word of God. Because God breathed out Scripture, it is authoritative. And so this morning, I'd like us to consider three things in relation to the authoritative word of God. Uh, first, we'll consider where the authoritative word of God is found. So where it is found. Second, we'll consider what the authoritative uh, word of God does. So what it does. And last of all, how do we come to embrace the authoritative word of God? So what, uh, where is it found? What, what does it do? And how do we come to embrace it? We will notice that these articles refer to the canon of scripture. Or sometimes it refers to the canonical books. And boys and girls, this does not refer to the type of canon that goes kaboom. This is canon with one N. This literally refers to a standard or a rule. The early church fathers referred or used this word to distinguish between scriptural books and non-scriptural books. And so the canon of scripture refers to the collection of books that are inspired and authoritative. The canon of scripture refers to the collection of books that are inspired, inspired by God, and thus authoritative, authoritative within the church. Now, what are these books? What are these books? Well, Article 4 lists all of these canonical books, the 66 books that make up both the Old and the New Testaments. And so, where do we go, or where should we go to find the authoritative word of God? We shouldn't try to listen to the still, small voice in our head. We shouldn't try to exegete our emotions or experiences. Rather, we go to the canon of Scripture. It is in the canon of Scripture, the 66 books that we just recited that make up the Old and New Testaments, that is where we find the authoritative word of God. So the authoritative word of God is found in the canon of Holy Scripture. Now, what does the authoritative word of God do? What does the authoritative word of God do? Well, listen to what Article 5 says, the opening line of Article 5. 
It says, we receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical. This language is really important. The church receives these books as holy and canonical. The church receives these books as holy and canonical. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church and, and many liberal critical scholars and theologians say the opposite. They say that the church historically was the institution that decided which books are in and which books are out. This view makes the church stand over Scripture and in one sense have authority over Scripture. But we confess the opposite. We confess that the church is a creature of the word. The church receives and recognizes those books that are already inspired, already authoritative, based on God's own decision. And so the church receives, receives these books as holy and canonical. Another way to put it, another way to, to, to kind of think about what Article 5 is communicating here is that the church is the creation of the word of God. The church is the creation of the word of God. So what does, what does the authoritative word do? Well, it creates the church. It creates the church. You know, we consider how God's powerful word created all things in Genesis chapter 1. Well, God's authoritative and powerful word also creates the church, the covenant community. And this is a theme that we see throughout the Bible. So, for instance, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sin, God comes to them in both judgment and grace. And God issues or proclaims the first gospel promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He promises that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. And what does Adam do? Well, he responds by faith. By naming his wife, Eve, the mother of all living. And thus, consequently, Adam and Eve become the first members of the church. The first members of the covenant of grace. And so how did Adam and Eve become members of the church and the covenant of grace? Through God's gospel promise. God made them members of the church through that promise of Genesis 3.15. Fast forward a bit to Genesis chapter 12. You have pagan Abraham living in the pagan land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And God's word comes to him. It says, Abram, I want you to leave your homeland and I'm going to take you to a land in which you will possess. I'm going to bless your family and make your family a mighty and great nation. And those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Now notice that Abram doesn't come to God and say, God, you know, I've been kind of following, you know, your, your plot here lately. And, and I think you should uh, choose me and my family to be the one through whom you're going to fulfill this promise. I think you, my family should be the family that blesses the nations. No, that's not what, what happens at all. God comes to Abraham and calls him to be a member of his covenant of grace. And so Abram is made a member through God's word, through God's call. You think of uh, Moses and the people of Israel. Under, under Moses, Israel becomes a nation through God's word as it thunders from Mount, from, uh, Mount Sinai. You come to the New Testament, Romans chapter 10. 
Paul says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The Word of Christ. It's the Word of Christ that creates faith and, and causes us to profess that faith and become members of his church. In 1 Peter 1.23, Peter says that we have been born again, not through perishable seed, but imperishable seed. Through the living and abiding Word of God. It's the word that gives us new life and causes us to be born again. Consequently, then, we see throughout Scripture that the church is a creature of the word. The church is a creation of the word. The church nowhere creates or stands above God's word and call. The church is a creation of the word. Now, in the post-apostolic period, in those first few centuries after the death of of the last apostles. Of course, we see that the church and the early church fathers had to recognize those books that were inspired, and those books that were authoritative. And the early church fathers sought to distinguish scriptural books from non-scriptural books according to three main markers. They looked for books that had apostolic authorship or origins. They also looked for those books that already had a wide acceptance among the Christian community, and they also looked at consistency of content, meaning does the given book under consideration harmonize with the rest of Scripture, or does it contradict the rest of Scripture? And that's how they sought to recognize, not determine authoritatively, but recognize those books that already were inspired and authoritative that God was giving to the church. Theologian J.I. Packer has a great quote that sums up this point well. He says that the church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. God gave us gravity by his work of creation. And similarly, he gave us the New Testament canon by inspiring the individual books that make it up. So just as Newton didn't make gravity, he just recognized that this is how God created the world. So in the same way, the early church did not make Scripture Scripture. They merely recognized those books that God had already given his people. So what does the authoritative word of God do? Well, it creates the church. Well, furthermore, notice in Article 5 that we see that the word regulates, the word establishes, and the word founds the faith. The church doesn't regulate, establish, or found the Christian faith. The word does these things. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Notice that in those verses that we read before, Paul is saying that the church, which is now made up of Jew and Gentile alike, is founded upon what foundation? Christ and the apostles, which includes their authoritative and inspired writings. And so Paul is saying that the church is founded upon the foundation of the word of God, the inspired and authoritative word of God. The word is not founded upon the foundation of the church. The church is founded upon the foundation of the word of God. And so what does the authoritative word of God do? Well, it serves as the foundation for the church. And so whichever metaphor you pick, whether it be the word creating the church or the word serving as a foundation of the church, both of these metaphors communicate to us that the word has the ultimate authority within the church. The word is our ultimate authority. 
Now, it's important to note that while the word is the ultimate authority, the word is not the only authority. So while the, the word is the ultimate authority, the word is not the only authority. What are some other authorities that God has given us? Well, the creeds and the confessions, our catechism, these possess authority as historic confessions of the faith. Officers within the church, pastors, elders, deacons, possess authority. And so these secondary authorities are legitimate authorities, but they serve the ultimate authority of the Word of God. So these secondary authorities are legitimate authorities, but they serve the ultimate authority of the Word of God. Consequently, then, we see that the hierarchy of authority that we are given in Scripture is, number one, the Word of God. That's our ultimate authority. Number two, the church in her creeds, confessions, and officers. And then number three... Us as individuals. Now, our sinful nature is prone to reverse this hierarchy. We're prone to put ourselves on the top of this pyramid and stand over the scriptures, stand over the church and her creeds and confessions and officers. For those of you who've been participating in our book study, this is expressive individualism, as, as Truman talks about, where we give ultimate authority to our feelings, our private opinions, and we view institutions as mere platforms for individual self-expression. And so what are some signs that we have reversed the hierarchy? Well, one telltale sign is when we refuse to become members or have a meaningful relationship with any local church in any community when we just sort of drift and float from church to church to church. This is a telltale sign that we have reversed the hierarchy, where we are standing above the church and her officers and her creeds and confessions and her as an institution. Another sign that we have reversed this hierarchy is when we are unwilling to engage passages of Scripture that may seem to contradict our present convictions. In this way, we are, in a sense, standing over the word of God and not allowing all of God's word to speak and submit to the whole counsel of God. Another sign that we may have reversed this hierarchy is if we really give no attention nor care to what the historic church has believed and practiced in her creeds, confessions, and catechisms. In this way, we are standing over the historic church that's been passed on from generation to generation. And so we need to be cognizant that our sinful nature is prone to reverse the hierarchy. We don't like that pyramid, that scheme, that hierarchy that God has given us with his, his word at the top, his church as, as second, and us as, as tertiary, as individuals. Now, if, if our natural inclination is to reverse this hierarchy is to dismiss God's authoritative word, then how, how do we ever come to embrace God's word? How do we ever come to actually submit to God's authoritative word, especially when we don't want to, especially when we don't like what God's word says? How do we come to embrace God's authoritative word? Well, first, notice that the Bible objectively proves itself to be the Bible. This is what we confess in Article 5. And we believe without a doubt all things contained in them, that is to say the scriptures, because, if you skip down a few lines, because they prove themselves to be from God. For even the blind themselves are able to see that the things predicted in them do happen. 
What, is, what, what are we saying there? We're saying that God objectively reveals that the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God. The character of Scripture itself proves that this is not a mere human composition. The fact that you have a collection of 66 books written over the span of thousands of years with many different authors over three different languages, and these books all communicate the same unified plan of salvation? That's amazing. The fact that you see all of these promises of the Old Testament finding fulfillment in the new. That's amazing. And all of these things and more communicate to us that this word cannot be a mere human composition. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is that we're sinners. And we, by nature, seek to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And therefore, we seek to suppress even the truth that's revealed in Scripture. And so, in our sinful fallen state, we are unable to embrace God's word as God's word, as God's inspired and authoritative word. And so, what solves this predicament that we find ourselves in? Well, the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. So, this is why the Belgic Confession says that the main reason we embrace Scripture is because the Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that they are from God. We need the Spirit to change our hearts so that we can come and recognize and affirm what's already objectively true of the Scriptures, that they are the inspired and authoritative Word of God. Now, notice how this is analogous to our relationship to God's book of creation. Romans chapter 1, Paul says that God has objectively revealed himself in creation. It's no secret when you look at the mountains and the trees and the, and the ocean that God exists. That God is powerful, that God is glorious, that he has created all things. It's no secret, it's plain to all. But yet, what's the problem? We're sinners. We suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Although they knew God, they refused to acknowledge God, to submit to his authority, and to call upon him as creator. And so what's the solution? Well, we need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts so that we can actually acknowledge God to be the creator of all things, actually acknowledge God to be the author of providence, to actually acknowledge that the, the heavens and the, and, the, and the skies proclaim God's glory and handiwork. And so you'll notice the analogy with both modes of revelation, whether it be scripture or creation. God objectively reveals himself. Because we're sinful, we suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness, and therefore we need the spirit to change our hearts so that we can actually acknowledge what's already objectively true. And so, what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is not only the inspired Word of God, the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. Where do we find this authoritative Word of God? Well, we find it in the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. What does the Bible do? Well, the Bible creates, creates the church, creates the covenant community, and the Bible serves as the foundation for the church in every age. And last of all, how do we come to embrace the Bible as the authoritative and inspired word of God? Well, we need the Holy Spirit to testify in our hearts that, that it is, that it is the authoritative and inspired word of God. Let us pray. 
Merciful Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not only inspired, that you not only breathed out by you, but we thank you that it also possesses divine authority. We thank you, O Lord, that we can discern your will for us in our lives. We, we thank you that, that as we experience the, the roller coaster of our emotions, that we can tether ourselves to something that is objectively true. As we considered earlier this morning, we thank you that your gospel promise that's issued forth through the words of Jesus, as he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We thank you that no matter how we are feeling, no matter how our day is going, that if we have come to Christ by faith, then we have God's rest. We have your rest. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we seek to find our assurance, not in our feelings, not in our emotions, not even in our piety, but in your promises that are revealed in your inspired and authoritative word. We also pray for the needs of your people, O oh Lord. You know that our burdens are heavy. And we pray this morning... Uh, for, for William, especially this week, as he has his polygraph and other uh, interviews as he continues forward with the Snoqualmie uh, police station, uh, we just pray that your will would be done. We pray that you'd calm any anxieties and grant him a clarity of mind. Although we also pray for uh, Joshua Gilbert uh, as he prepares to deploy here for a six-month deployment. We pray that you'd also calm any nerves that he has. We pray that you even use this deployment to... Um, draw him uh, closer to yourself. We uh, pray that uh, you would uh, grant him what he stands in need of. Uh, we also thank you for Ezekiel. We thank you for Candace and, and uh, Hannah. We thank you for how they serve us in, in seeking to um, uh, play for us, accompany our, our singing, O oh Lord, as we seek to uh, praise your name each Lord's Day. O oh Lord, we also pray for Ben. We give thanks that he has had this opportunity to disciple a co-worker. We just pray that your spirit would be at work in their meetings. And we pray that you would enable this, this friend to be able to see your word as it is, as your inspired and authoritative word, and that he would come to embrace it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we also pray for uh, John Dattel as he will be traveling to Spokane this week. We also pray that you grant him travel mercies, grant him what he stands in need of, as well as for um, Kathy and, um, and the girls as they're away uh, during this week. Uh, we pray for the other unnamed requests. We commit them to your fatherly providence. We thank you that you are a God who cares for us. You are a God who counts our, our, our tears in a bottle, and we pray that you would assure us of these precious promises as we go forth from here today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, please stand as we respond in song by praising our triune God.
Receive now God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.